You're listening to the Grace Sermon Podcast with messages from Pastor Chris Twightman and the community at Grace Lutheran Church, Huntington Beach. We're a family church that exists to engage life together and impact our neighborhoods as disciples of Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org. Now, stay tuned for today's message. phrase lost in translation. It means some of the content of a statement is not getting across. Lost in translation. Specifically, it describes when the translation of a word or phrase does not convey its true or complete meaning from the original language. The fact is there are words, there are phrases, even concepts so particular to a culture, despite our best efforts to translate them, There is no exact match in other languages. And so as a result, part of the meaning gets lost in the process. In fact, the original languages in which the Bible was written, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, can fall victim sometimes to being lost in translation. Let's just take biblical Hebrew, for example. Biblical Hebrew roughly has about 8,000 words. Now, that's not a lot, (laughs) Uh, It's a number that's far fewer than our more than 100,000 words in English. So if you're tracking with me here, as a result, a single word in Hebrew is kind of like an overstuffed overstuffed suitcase, right? It, It just bulges with extra meanings that it has to carry in order to fully describe reality. So as a result, our effort for word for word equivalency in an English translation often sacrifices the wideness and the depth of what was trying to be communicated in Hebrew. So that's why, for this reason, this idea of words that sometimes get lost in translation, that's why we're starting a new sermon series today. It's called Words to Live By, Being Shaped by God's Vocabulary. What we're going to do is each week, we're going to take an English word we know well, and we're going to unpack the fullness of its original meaning from either biblical Hebrew or Greek. And our reason for doing this is because God seeks to shape our lives through speaking. In fact, that's the very way that God creates. God creates by speaking through his word. So the more we understand and yield to what the Lord is trying to say to us, the more we will, we will reflect God's character and purposes through our own conversations, our own words in action. Now, our backdrop for much of this series will be a scriptural text that you have open in front of you right now. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. It's also known as the Shema. Found, as you know, in the book of Deuteronomy, the Shema is to our Jewish brothers and sisters what John 3.16 is to us. Like that verse, John 3.16, the words of the Shema confess the heart of the Jewish faith. In fact, so much so, it became a daily prayer in ancient Israel, one that is still taught memorized and repeated by Jews today, much like the Lord's Prayer is for us as Christians. Now, we're going to do something a little different today. I want you to keep those Bibles open so you can keep looking down at it. But unlike what we typically do where I will read the Scripture out loud, we're going to read it out loud together. It's going to be on the screen for you. And the reason for doing this is I want you to get the communal sense of, this, of these verses, that these are verses that were intended to be read by the community at large. So join me in doing things a little differently this morning in reading these words from Deuteronomy 6 together. Let's read them. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, 
the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So our word for the day is Shema. Can you say that? Shema. Shema, as you heard, is the title given to this section of Scripture, these verses that we just read. It, in fact, is the very first word of this passage and in many ways is the foundational word of this Scripture. The word Shema, as you noticed, is translated into English as hear. And right from the start, this translation lacks a certain something. A better translation of Shema, in fact, would be listen. This would be a better translation, and I really don't have to explain this much, because we all know hearing is not the same thing as listening. Hearing. Hearing is simply the act of perceiving sound by the ear. Hearing is the physical measurement of the sound waves that are transmitted to the ear and into the brain where they are processed into audible information. In other words, hearing is a passive occurrence that requires no effort on our part. If you're not hearing impaired, if something is not physically obstructing the functioning of your ears, then hearing just happens. In fact, did you know this? Hearing occurs even while we sleep. Even while we sleep. And if you didn't know that, you certainly know this, right? You can hear someone speak without listening to the words. We've all been on that side of the conversation, right? You know what I'm talking about? We've all been on that side of the conversation where we're sharing the same immediate physical space with someone or we have that person on the other end of the line and yet while we're talking, we don't perceive the other person is engaged with us. We might even mention this and the person usually responds, I hear you, but we typically push back and ask, but are you listening to me? Because listening is different than hearing because listening goes far beyond our passive process of hearing. Hearing just happens. Listening, on the other hand, is a skill, a conscious choice that demands one's attention and focus. Listening requires concentration so that your brain processes meaning from words and sentences. Listening aims not just to receive the message, but to understand what is being communicated. There's an interesting tension in the human condition when we reflect on the difference between hearing and listening. There's this interesting tension. On the one hand, one of the greatest human needs, one of the greatest human longings is to be heard, right? We all want to be heard. And yet, on the other hand, we all have such a hard time listening to each other. And this inherent tension that I've just pointed out is very much present in our relationship with God, too. When God calls his people to Shema, the Lord desires more than a passive reception of the sound of his voice, his words into our ear canals. Our Father created us as human beings with the ability, the gift of hearing. 
Hearing requires no effort on our part. No, what God desires for us is to use the gift we have been given to listen, to pay attention, to focus on what he's saying to us. But we don't. What gets in the way? What gets in the way of our listening to each other and more significantly, listening to God? Well, first of all, the world around us is getting louder. We live in the age of trains, planes, and automobiles, butting up against the era of mass media, cell phones, and other wireless technology. And all that combined noise is getting smashed into increasingly dense urban sprawls. In fact, we're so used to constant noise, many of us find it unsettling, eerie even, when we actually manage to find ourselves out in the middle of nowhere, and it's so quiet. Our world has become so loud, there's actually talk about noise pollution. Scientists say that the level of human-generated background buzz continues to climb, and that's not a good thing. Studies continue to warn us about the adverse consequences of the volume around us being turned up, how it negatively affects our health. But we don't listen to them, do we? We don't listen. Maybe it's because of all the noise. Noise is one obstacle to listening, but another one is distractions. Came across this great word. You're going to love this. It's a a term, actually. Data smog. Data smog. You don't know what data smog is. Data smog is the never-ending information being thrown at us, popping up on our screens, big and small, getting past our filters and filling up our emails and our mailboxes, coming at us through the radio, the podcast, the social media. And all this data smog makes it challenging for the average person to focus on any one thing. So we've adapted. We've adapted, right, to this cacophony of, that's coming at us. We've adapted, and we've become trained in what, here's another term for you, we've become trained in what's called info-snacking. <laughs> info-snacking, right? Consuming little bits of information for brief periods throughout the day. We've adapted. It sounds harmless. It sounds actually like a great adaptation to what, how things have changed. But the problem is, is it prevents us from being fully present with another person. We're perpetually distracted. We're so used to checking our phones. We're so used to looking up at a screen. We're so used to having something else on in the background that we tune out what's actually happening around us, including what is being said. Now, to put a positive spin on it, you know this, right? To put a positive spin on it, we call it multitasking. Oh, no. We're just, no, we can, we're we're listening. We're just multitasking. Science, however, continues to present a sobering counter-narrative. When the environment around us becomes a nonstop and daily barrage of auditory as well as visual and mental stimulation, science tells us this triggers a continued state of arousal, what is known as the fight-or-flight response. In other words, this repeated assault of sound and other stimulation around us creates a false sense of urgency within us and fosters our continued perpetual busyness. And so as a result, we're always on the edge, right? We struggle to remain focused. We're easily frustrated. We don't know how to slow down. No, we don't have time to stop and pay attention and reflect at what's coming at us. We've got things to do, places to be. And so we never stop talking 
to ourselves. This is yet another obstacle to listening. Noise, distractions, and continually, endlessly talking to ourselves. We're so inundated, we're so on the go, so on the move, the inner monologue never ceases. And there's little, if any, room for anyone else to be heard. Instead of listening to what the other person is saying, you've done this, right? You've, been on the, you've, you've experienced this, right? Instead of listening to what the other person is saying, we're accessing our prepared script. We're, we're our rehearsed talking points. We're engaging our filters automatically, our perceived, preconceived notions, our inherent prejudices. You might be doing it right now. How long is this sermon going to be today? <laughs> is he really telling me this? As a result, we speak before we think, Right? We interrupt, we talk over the other person. We make assumptions about what they're going to say without actually listening to them. Whether it's the constant noise all around us, the numerous distractions we encounter, or the incessant self-talk we practice, or the combination of all three, it's clear we have a hearing problem when it comes to our relationship with others. What's your greatest obstacle in listening What's your greatest obstacle in listening? I ask this because if we're hard of hearing with everyone else, it's a safe bet to assume our relationship with God falls into the same pattern. But again, it's not a hearing problem, right? It's, it's, it's not a hearing problem as much as it's a listening problem. We're not really hard of hearing. We're hard of listening. Now, get ready, because the truth is, it's really worse than we realize. Everything I've just shared with you right now has absolutely nothing to do with the word Shema. I haven't even taken you into the deeper meaning of Shema. Everything I've told you, you could have, we could talk about outside of the context of being in God's word. We ha- and yet, think about right now the chasm that we've just understood that's between us in our lives. The, what we, how we're created to be and yet what we practice. To this point, all we've done, and it's a lot is we've identified Shema is better translated as listening versus hearing. And we've acknowledged the, the, the distinction between the two. You get that. Here's the thing. The full meaning of the word, the Hebrew word Shema, conveys even more than this. Another way of putting it is there's listening. And then there's listening. You see... The word Shema doesn't just imply listening as in paying attention or focusing on what is being communicated. That's as far as we've gone so far. The word Shema doesn't just imply listening, paying attention, or focusing on what is being communicated. At its core, Shema means listening and responding. To be even more specific, Shema denotes obedience. Doing what you've been told. So a complete English translation of Shema would be, listen and do what is said. Listen and do what is said. To really bring this nuance home for you of the nuance of the meaning of the word Shema, get this, the biblical language of Hebrew has no separate or distinct word for obey. There is no word for obey in Hebrew. Because obedience is implied and therefore communicated when you tell someone to shema. Listening and not responding, not doing what has been communicated, is not conceived of, and therefore it's not expressed as an option. Two quick biblical examples that maybe help you to hear or read scripture differently, now understanding this nuance of shema. First, let's stay right here in, in, uh, with Moses. Moses, later on, 
when he, or earlier on, excuse me, when he recites the covenant to the people of Israel on Mount Sinai, it's recorded in Exodus, Exodus chapter 24 that the people respond, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. That's the English translation of that verse. In Hebrew, it actually reads, all that the Lord has said, we will hear and we will do. Another example, the Psalms. When David pleads, when more than one psalmist pleads on a regular occasion, O Lord, please hear my prayer. O Lord, please hear my prayer. I don't know about you, when I was a kid, I always would read those psalms and always be like, what is David's problem? Does he think God's asleep? Oh God, hear me. God's busy right now? Like God, hey, take a number. I gotta, I'll get to you when I get to you. Why is, oh, hear my prayer. But now if you insert the word Shema, Oh, Lord, please shema my prayer. David isn't accusing God of being deaf, disinterested, or falling asleep at the wheel. No, David is calling upon God expectantly to take action, not just to listen to his words, but naturally to respond. Because you see, in Hebrew, listening and doing are synonymous. They're two sides of the same coin. To listen is to obey. One of the reasons for this is because Jewish culture is physically oriented. It's centered on action. The Hebrew language reflects this orientation as mental activities are broadened to seamlessly include the physical outcomes. Listen and follow. Now, I'm pointing this out to you because whether you realize it or not, this is noticeably different from Greek culture the primary ancient culture that has influenced Western thought and practice, namely our culture today. You see, where Hebrew culture is primarily physically oriented, centered on action, Greek or Western culture, our culture, stresses mental activity, often apart from or divorced from physical action. Now, you can see this distinction played out in how we, we ideally define listening. At its best, this is how we in the Western world define listening. It's a three-step process. This is ideal listening in the Western world. You ready? Step one, we pay attention and we focus on what is being expressed. Step two, we evaluate the content based upon our understanding of what is being communicated. Step three, we make a choice to go further with it, contingent upon our evaluation of the message. Do you notice the emphasis, by the way, in all of that? We. In Western culture, understanding has to come first, and then we will listen. We will obey. In Hebrew culture, by the way, the only culture originally defined by God, listening means obeying, and it is through obeying that one comes to understand. Did you catch that? Instinctively, even though this may be unfamiliar for us, instinctively we get this nuance of the Hebrew word Shema. We get it even if we don't functionally abide by its meaning. Consider, imagine, someone is facing towards you, right? But his or her back is turned to whatever is behind them. So they're facing towards you, but their, their, their back is turned to whatever is behind them. And suddenly, quickly, something is coming up from behind them fast. Something big, something dangerous that they cannot see, but you do. There are only seconds left before it hits them dead on and you shout, get out of the way! Or perhaps you grab them and try to move them out of harm's way. 
They can't understand why you're suddenly shouting at them or forcibly grabbing hold of them. But you don't pause to explain what's happening. I'm sorry, let me make sure you understand exactly what's happening here right now. You don't have time for that, right? You can't. They have to listen and follow your instructions, your lead, and then after they have responded, they will come to appreciate what you said and why. Beloved, our relationship with God is very much like this. The Lord sees what we cannot. Our Father knows what's best for us. What he says to us is for our salvation. And when I say it's for our salvation, I don't just mean rescuing us from death, though that would be enough. When I say it's for our salvation, it's also about discovering and experiencing the kind of life he has given to us, the kind of life he desires for us, the kind of life we were meant for. This is the reason the Lord is speaking, for our salvation. The stopgap that we create between our listening and our following is an artificial one. And by the stopgap, I mean, well, we go, well, listening, I listen, and then I evaluate and decide whether or not I agree whether or not that makes sense to me, and then I will follow. That stopgap is an artificial one. It's a byproduct of our sin. It's a, it's, it's a byproduct of our mistaken and faulty belief that we are equal to God in terms of our wisdom, our experience, and our understanding. But my friends, being created in the Lord's image, as we all are, does not mean that we can fathom the mind and heart of our creator. A reflection is not the same as the object it magnifies. The Lord's thoughts and ways are not ours. God is both capable and so typical, right? God is capable and so typical in doing the unexpected. Even what we deem, oh, that's impossible. God is able to do and is so typical in doing the unexpected, what we deem impossible in our lives, in this world. He does more than we can imagine or hope for. Therefore, the natural outcome of hearing God speak into our lives should be obeying, listening and following his lead, his word, his will, his purposes, his way. Were you listening to what I just said? Because I ask this because most of us tune out when we hear the word obey. We don't like that word. Obey. Ugh. Right? We prefer to go our own way. That's a value we champion in our culture. We prefer to go our own way rather than follow someone else's. We'd rather make our own rules. That's living. Make your own rules. Define your own terms. Set your own standards. And man, that sounds great in theory. I'm serious. That sounds awesome in theory. Everyone does their own thing. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be fantastic? Everyone does their own thing. I do what works for me and you do you. You do what works for you. And as long as whatever we do doesn't interfere or violate what everyone else is doing, it's all good, right? Yeah. But the thing is, we don't live alone. We live together. We live next to each other. We share the same space, the same planet. Whatever I do affects you, whether I intended to or wanted to or not, and vice versa. Whatever you do affects me. You don't believe me? Enter a room, and some people think it's too hot, while other people think it's too cold. 
And then there are those annoying people in the middle who think it's just right. But somebody's got to regulate the thermostat. Who decides? Who will we listen to? This is a small microcosm of living in our world. Some people think it's too hot. Some people think it's too cold. Some people think it's just right. Who decides? Who regulates the thermostat? Ask yourself, If you had to pick just one voice out of the millions out there, the hundreds coming at us, shouldn't it be the voice of our creator? Shouldn't it be the voice of the one who designed and gave us life? Shouldn't it be the voice of the one who came down to teach us how to live and rescued us so we could start actually living? Shouldn't it be the one who continues to speak to us in order to lead us into the life, the reality for which we were always meant for? Obey. Listen means obey. And contrary to how we often perceive it, the obedience that God is looking for in our lives, the kind of listening that leads to following, isn't fundamentally about a power trip, about God flexing his cosmic muscles and exercising control over us. The Lord doesn't need to exercise control over our lives because whether we realize it or not or accept it or not, the Lord is in control of all things. We flex our muscles. We got to let people know who's in charge, who is in control because we're insecure because sometimes there's some doubt. God suffers from no such insecurities. Whether you acknowledge it or not, God knows full well he's in control. He's got nothing to prove. No, the obedience that God is looking for in our lives, the kind of listening that leads to following is not for God's benefit, it's for our benefit. For our good, so that we can operate at our best potential, so that we can maximize the full capacity of this incredible creation of which we are a part. God created us, in other words, to flourish. God in Christ rescued and redeemed you so that you can thrive. So that we can be, we can become all we were created to be. So that we can enjoy the good life, not just for the moment. Life is good. So that we can enjoy the good life forever. Maybe I have your interest now. Maybe you're asking yourself, well, how do I, well, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm not just hearing you, I'm listening. How do I listen to God? The short answer of how do we listen to God, the short answer is we focus And we pay attention to where the Lord clearly speaks to us. And where is that? Where does the Lord clearly speak to us? Through the word he has given us. Through his spirit that abides in us. Through the community of faith. Fellow listeners who live by the word of the Lord. And live out of the authority and power of the Holy Spirit. That's the short answer of how we listen to God. But again, the key to listening to Shema is obeying following what God tells us. To clarify, our obedience to God doesn't come through our understanding of God. I want to say that one more time. Our obedience to God doesn't come through our understanding of God. Because if it did, then our obedience, our salvation, our faith, our discipleship, our maturity would be due to our effort, our work. No, our obedience flows not out of our comprehension or contribution. Our obedience flows out of listening and responding to what the Lord says to us. 
The Spirit initiates, prompts us with an idea, fills us with wisdom, guides us with discernment, directs us through the challenges and obstacles before us, and we follow. We follow by listening and doing, but we can only follow because the Lord leads, because God speaks first. God always speaks first. God spoke first when he created everything, gave us life. God spoke first. God spoke first when the word became flesh, inviting us home, declaring all is forgiven, assuring us of his love through the cross and the resurrection. God always speaks first, and then we follow. When I think about this, when I think about the full meaning of this word Shema, what it looks like for us, you know, practically, tangibly. I always come back to the biblical example of two men. Two men from the scriptures, two men whose ears were inclined differently toward the Lord. The first person I'm thinking of is a man named Saul. You might remember Saul. Saul was Israel's first king. Saul was a guy who repeatedly claimed he heard what the Lord was saying to him. But the funny thing is, he always ended up doing and listening to his own voice. And if you don't know his story, it cost him everything. He lost everything. Listening to his own voice drove Saul mad. Mad with jealousy. Mad with hatred. Mad with paranoia. Listening to his own voice took Saul to some really dark places and ultimately cost him not just his crown, but his life. Saul's hearing problem was so bad, the phrase, to shema is better than sacrifice, was coined just for him. To obey are the words. To obey is better than sacrifice, coined just for Saul. In other words, Saul, listen and do what I said. Doing what I said is better than all the stuff you think you're doing for me. Listen and do what I tell you. That's better for you than all the stuff you think you're doing for me. To Shema is better than sacrifice, coin, just for Saul. And the guy who said those words to Saul is the other person I'm thinking of. And his name was Samuel. And if you don't remember Samuel, Samuel was the last judge and a prophet of Israel, prophet of the Lord. Samuel's life was decidedly different from Saul's because from a very young age, do you remember this? Samuel was different because he listened with an inclination to serve, not to question not to always initially understand, but to follow the Lord's lead. And the thing is, Samuel was this way. He did so at a time when the word tells us everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. The book of Judges is a really dark book. Samuel is the last judge, and the thing that stands out is whereas all the other judges of Israel you read about in that dark book, and then you have a nice interlude with Ruth, and then you dive into 1 Samuel, whereas all the other judges eventually met their downfall. Samuel stood apart because he continued to experience the wisdom, joy, and peace of God's sustaining presence in his life. Samuel became the instrument through which the Lord broke the cycle of the judges. He broke the cycle of a bunch of fractured, warring tribes and forged them into a united nation under a king named David. Two people. One person kept telling God, I hear you but never followed a single thing the Lord said. He had, you know, that check-the-box, go-through-the-motions kind of relationship with God. You know the type. I confess Christ as my Lord and Savior. I show up to church. I say grace every time before I eat and when I go to sleep. But functionally, practically, I do 
what I want to do. Samuel, the other person from the very beginning of his life, said this, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening, shamaying, and he never took his eyes or his ears off of God. He greeted each day expectantly. He abided in the words the Lord had already spoken through his ancestors. In other words, his Bible. And through the Holy Spirit, Samuel allowed the transcript of that dialogue to shape his receptivity to where and how the Lord was directing him in the moment. He had, in other words, a regular, ongoing, vibrant, conversational relationship with God, functionally, practically. He recognized the Lord's voice in the spaces and relationships before him and followed that voice with trust and obedience, even if he always didn't understand why. Which person are you? How do you hear? How do you listen? How do you respond? How do we shema the Lord like Saul or like Samuel? Are you, seriously, are you just going through the motions? You know what I mean? Going the Lord's way only when you understand, only when you agree with what you're hearing. Or are you listening in order to follow, engaged, expectant, dependent upon the Lord's voice to teach and guide you in whatever you're facing before whoever you're encountering? You know, you read the Gospels and something that you may notice now that we've talked about this word Shema is that Jesus often concluded his teaching with some very interesting words. Read the Gospels. Jesus often concluded his teaching with these words. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You should understand that differently now as Jesus saying, he who has ears to Shema, let him Shema. What Jesus is really saying, we understand now, is if you're listening to me, then Follow me. Follow me. My friends, in the end, at the end of the day, we all, all of us, no one is excluded from this. We all listen to something or someone. And inevitably, whatever or whoever we really listen to, we follow. We submit to and allow ourselves, our thoughts, our words, our actions to be shaped by it. What voice predominates your life? What voice dictates your life? Is it the voice in your head? Not the voice of God, the voice in your head. You know that voice. Is it voices outside of you, all around you? Have you ever even stopped to notice who or what you're listening to? Because you see, how we listen shapes our perception of reality. How we listen not only shapes our perception of reality, how we listen shapes our experience of reality. Listening can be liberating. Healing begins with listening. But it all depends on who we're listening to and what that voice is saying. What if... What if you listened and followed the voice that calls you beloved? That tells you this is your identity. You are my beloved child and nothing can separate you from my love. What if you listened and followed that voice? What if you listened and followed the voice that assures you all is forgiven? My home is with you. 
I'll never leave you or forsake you. I go ahead of you so that where I am, you will also be. What if you listened and followed that voice? What if you listened and followed the voice that promises you, I am in control. I know what I'm doing. I'm taking you somewhere. I can carry you. I can carry you through whatever comes your way, even the storms of your own making. What if you listened and followed that voice? What if you listened and followed the voice that instructs you to slow down, slow down, stop, stop working in order to rest, but instead do it my way. Rest, abide in me, my provision for you, and work out of that. My strength, my resources, my power in you. What if you listened and followed that voice? The voice of God calls to each of us. No matter how much noise or distractions there are in this life jamming our circuits despite all the junk that gets dumped on us or we collect all by ourselves that limits our bandwidth even when we doubt that there's really anybody out there through his word the voice of the spirit and the community of faith Jesus is still speaking beloved the Lord has no problem repeating himself to you the Lord has no problem repeating himself for you. Are you listening? Are you following? Can we hear him?